Uh, this morning, I'm going to conclude what I started last Sunday, uh, and that was a, a study and uh, some insight on the altars of God and uh, how the altars of God are our connecting point with God. Because when we come to the altar, and, and, and the altar isn't made up of any, anything specific, uh, there are no monuments, really. There, there's, there, is, there are no um, carvings that are around. It's just carpet. It's an empty space. An altar can be there at your chair, a church, um, at your chair. It could be in your home, uh, by your bed. It could be in your living room, your den. Basically, the altar is where you want to connect with God. And when we come to church, um, we always want people, after they hear the Word of God, to be inspired to spend some time with God, to connect with Him about what they have heard and how God spoke with them about any specific issue. And, and we looked last week at how the Old Testament saints were, were uh, connecting with God on a constant basis. Because they wanted to, to have God involved in their life. They wanted God uh, to help them through their trials, their struggles. They wanted to let God know how grateful they were for God helping them. And so they, uh, whatever it was, they got some pieces of wood, uh, they got some rocks, whatever was available, and there was always a place. They built a fire, they sacrificed an animal, and they shed the blood. And uh, that acknowledged that they were connecting with God and asking for forgiveness of sins or whatever the case might be. We do that here in our church. So important that we never eliminate the, the access to the altar that we call the altar call that uh, we allow people to connect with God. And our opening text, and I'm just briefly going to go through what we talked about last week so I can get on to uh, where we're going to conclude. Out of the book of Hebrews, in chapter number 13, verses 8 through 10, uh, the writer of Hebrews is uh, giving us an understanding about the new altar, about how in the Old Testament there was a legal process of sacrifice and of, of uh, sacrificing an animal or even bringing fruit to an altar to signify that connection with God. And the writer of Hebrews, because he's writing to Jews, he's writing to Jews who were uh, steeped into the, the Jewish law and religion. And he was trying to let them know, look, Jesus Christ, God sent his son to fulfill the law and to be that sacrifice, ultimate sacrifice, once and for all, for us all, including the Jews. So this is what he says, Hebrews 13 and verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace. You see, right here, he begins immediately to let the Jews know that no longer are, are sacrifices and the, the, the blood of animals uh, going to cover their sins. Uh, but now he says, uh, through Jesus Christ uh, and with, with a heart that's repented, grace, not with foods, 
which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. So he's saying there's some folks who are going to continue to do the sacrifice, continue to kill animals, and continue to keep to the Old Testament laws and sacrifices. But this new altar through Jesus Christ, this, this altar of grace, don't you thank God for God's grace, for his mercy, for his goodness in our lives, that it's not about uh, us, but it's about his son uh, who shed his blood for our sins, that our sins can be forgiven. And uh, there are going to be some who are going to reject that. And the writer of Hebrews was simply saying, yes, there are some that have no right to, to be a part of this, this, this new altar and uh, this grace of God because they reject him. We accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And so, for, briefly for the Old Testament saints, the altar was the place, as I said, where they connected and met with God to find favor with God, to renew their vision and their sense of purpose and direction. It was a place where they raised the banner of God's faithfulness. Is God faithful this morning? God is always faithful, and we're going to look at that this morning. And so we found out last week that these men who built the Old Testament uh, altars, they were motivated by the need of repentance. And it's good for us to repent uh, uh, from those things that keep us from God. Isn't that true? There, there's always somewhere we can repent in, isn't there? There's a place that every day, you know, we're not perfect and there are things we say, do, whatever the case might be, that we come to before God and say, forgive me, Lord. And that's so important. So they were motivated by the need to repent when they built an altar. They built an altar to, to show that they were willing to submit to God's authority, and it shows that they were going to depend on him. That was the motivation of why the Old Testament saints build an altar, and it should be the same for us. It, it should be the, the fact that we want to repent. We want, we want to submit to God and let him see that when we come to the altar. I'm surrendering, and I'm going to depend on you. And uh, so we looked at the three points last week. Concerning the altar and what it represented, it represented worship, it represented sacrifice because the altar that was built, they worshiped God and they thanked God and they sacrificed there at the altar. And now this morning we're going to take a look at that third point uh, that uh, we're going to see and that is uh, the altar of God's faithfulness. God is a faithful God. And they recognized that, and they built an altar to that, and specifically Abraham, that built that altar of new beginnings, because that's what Abraham was celebrating. We talked about that, what the altar represented, new beginnings. Do you remember when you first got saved, when you first accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you came to an altar call, or wherever it was that somebody prayed for you. And when you finished that prayer, you know what took place. There was a brand new start to your life, a brand new beginning in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, behold, uh, all things are 
passed away, and now all things are becoming new. And uh, they haven't just become new because we're in flux. We're constantly changing and being renewed daily in our faith. And so that's what I want to look at with you this morning is uh, the faithful God of new beginnings. Maybe you're here this morning and you need a new start. Maybe you're here this morning and your life is at a place where you're tired, you're worn out, you're searching for something new, something to help you, whether it's in your marriage, in your family, in your own personal life. Well, I want to tell you today, you can have a new start right here if you're not serving Jesus Christ by accepting Him as your Lord and Savior. He is faithful to give you a new beginning. In Genesis chapter uh, 13, and starting with verse 14. Genesis chapter 13, verse 14. It's a story there of Abraham and Lot and, and their, their men having disagreement amongst themselves. And there came a time where Abraham spoke to Lot and said, look, let's not quarrel. It's not good for us to fight. Let's separate and go our different ways. And so Abraham gave Lot a choice of where he wanted to choose to go. He said, if you go east, I'll go west. If you go north, I'll go south. Lot looked around, looked all over, and he looked up at uh, the, the, the plains uh, of, of Jordan and how it looked uh, like the garden. And he said, I think I want that because it looks good. I want to go there because it looks like it's already ready and prepared. And so I'm going, to take, I'm going to pick that spot. And Abraham said, that's fine. I will head and be and remain in Canaan. The place that looked barren. The place that wasn't looking all that fruitful. The place that wasn't looking all that good. Abraham said, doesn't matter because I serve a faithful God. And God spoke to me and he promised me that he was going to meet my Needs. So Lot, go ahead, do your thing, go where you need to go. And in verse 14, oh, I'm sorry, in, in, in Genesis chapter uh, 13, I got the wrong chapter here, let me go back. And in verse 14, the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are, to the north and the south and the east and the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mamre, Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and there he built an altar to the Lord. 
You see, it didn't matter that Abraham wasn't going to go into that place that looked the best, that, that seemed to be the best, uh, but what he wanted to do was to be in the will of God. And when he built that altar, he was acknowledging that God was going to be faithful to his promise to him that he just made. He built that altar there at Mamron and Hebron to acknowledge his confidence that God would be faithful to his word, that God would bring his promises to pass. This morning, how many know the devil always wants to discourage us and cause you and I to want to doubt the promises of God? He wants us to doubt the faithfulness of God. When things look dry, when things look barren, when things may not look all that good, the devil's always ready to come and to lie and say, where is your God now? What? It doesn't look so good now, does it? I thought God said this. I thought God promised you this. You see, the enemy always wants to challenge our confidence regarding God's faithfulness and his word. Lot chose the best land, left Abraham the rest. But God said, don't worry about a, a Lot. Don't worry about what Lot is getting or where he's going to be. God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to multiply you. And not only you, but your seed, your family, and them that come after them, they are also going to be blessed uh, numerous times beyond uh, the sands uh, of the earth. You see, this morning, when things look bad or barren, we need to stand in the confidence of God's promise that he is faithful. We need to stand uh, on the promises of God's word. When the enemy of our faith comes and begins to lie, turn to the word of God. Don't turn to your, what you see, what you feel, what you think, but turn to the word of God and God will inspire you and strengthen your faith. Listen to 1 Corinthians in chapter 10 and in verse 13 to what the apostle Paul writes. When you're tempted to doubt God, when you're tempted to, to, to lose your confidence and trust in God's faithfulness, Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. God is faithful. Would you say those words with me? God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation, uh, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. See, this is where Abraham, when you read about uh, the, 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 the old uh, men of, of, the, uh, of the Old Testament, and when they built their altars and they had sacrifices, you read about the birds of prey. These, these vultures, these uh, birds who would come and want to eat the sacrifice and eat uh, the sacrifice that those men were bringing before the Lord, and they had to chase them away. You see, that's what we need to do. 
when the birds, the spiritual birds of prey want to come and destroy the fruit of your faith and remove your confidence in God, don't just stand there and go, oh, well. Begin to rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus through the word of God. And say, devil, no, this is my altar. This is my promise from God. My, my word concerning God's faithfulness, and you're not taking it away. And you see, Abraham, in spite uh, of the, where Lot was choosing and looking and going, uh, he said, no big deal, no problem. God has everything under control. I want to look at some briefly this morning, some attitudes that we could, we could learn from Abraham's life that he had with his relationship with God and why he was able, in spite of what was going on around him, was able to stand firm in his confidence and his faith in Jesus Christ or in Jehovah God, knowing that God was going to be faithful. Number one, we need to learn, like Abraham did, to express confidence in God's faithful promises. Learn every day. That's why it's good to pray every day, to read your word every day. So you can build your faith. When the devil does come to lie, you can begin to rebuke him back with the promises of God. No, devil, this is what God said. This is what he promised me. Why do some people serve God half-heartedly? I'll tell you why. It's because they haven't come to a place yet where they have total confidence in God's promises, in God's faithfulness. And so when the enemy shakes their faith, when, when circumstances and trials begin to seem to, to, to pile up, because they're not grounded and settled in their faith and in the promises that God is faithful, they, they begin to wonder as well, maybe it's not going to happen. Maybe God's not going to come through. Maybe I need to do something else. And so they're, they're, they allow their lives to be basically ripped off by the lies of the enemy. They allow their, their destiny to be maybe not stopped, but hindered because they have not yet come to a place where I don't care what I see, feel, or think. I know what God's word says. And, 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 and this is I'm standing upon it. My God is a faithful God. And, and what happens is that instead of doing that, they hold back on totally surrendering to the will of God because they're not so sure God's going to come through. That was my problem when, after, when we first got saved, and I knew the call of God was upon my life and to go and preach the word of God, and I, Sister Nancy had no issue with that. She wanted to go out as soon as, we, after we made the altar call. But it took me, how many years? Oh my God, that hurts. I'm not going to tell him how many years you said. No, I'll tell him it took me seven years. Seven years after I got saved to come to that place because I, I, I believe God, I love God, we serve God, I was involved in ministry, etc. and so on. But yet, deep down inside, there was still a place where, you know, I got a good job, I got, I got some things going on here, and, and, and so on and so forth, and if I let this go, 
Who's going to take care of my family? What's going to happen? You know, da, da, da. And, and it took that process in my life, and it, I should have done it earlier, but, you know, there was that struggle taking place, and maybe some of you can identify with us. Maybe not so much about going out and starting a church. Maybe yes, but other things, like getting involved in ministry or serving God in other areas of, of what you can do to help people here in the church. And by the way, we're having a good expo taking place afterwards for you to be able to sign up and, and get involved and, and kill those birds of prey that are holding you back from the will of God. Amen. And say, all right, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my confidence in you. You got this, God. And so I had to come to a place where I, I had to do that, and thank God I did. But um, a lot of times when, when we're not really solid and strong, um, you know, we can go through the motions of life in Christianity, but to go to that point in that place where God wants you to be, the will of God, the center of God's will, you got to let go and let God. And that means you have to trust God completely in his faithfulness and in his promises. God Doesn't God say he'll meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus? Do we believe that this morning? Do you believe that this morning? <laughs> Right? And, and so we, we believe that. Then it's total surrender, man. Let go. Let God. It's over. You know, I'm not holding back anymore. Abraham knew that God's promises were what? Yes and amen. Why? Because God's faithfulness is a matter of who he is. He can't be anything else but faithful. You know, there, there is no, there's not a speck or a scintilla of unfaithfulness in the character of God Almighty. And when you understand that and come to, to let that be, be downloaded into your, your memory system, then you're going to be able to resist the enemy, be able to, to, to step out into faith and begin to do greater things for God. Let God do greater things in your life. Begin to get involved in other areas uh, that God wants you to be involved in. God is a standard for faithfulness because He is over 100% faithful to you and I. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13 says, if we are faithless, has anybody ever been faithless? <laughs> Come on. We're in church. Let's be honest. You know, we're coming up to Easter, man. Let's, let's you know, what is it, the third week of Lent or whatever. You know, we, we just need to move in and, 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 and just be honest with God. We've all been faithless at one time or another. It means lacking in faith. And Scripture says, if we are faithless, Wow. He remains faithful. Isn't that something? Even in our unfaithfulness, God can't help but be faithful. It's not like you and I. Too many times we judge God by our standards, don't we? Why, well, they weren't faithful to me, so get that by the end. You know what? It's over for you. You know what? I ain't going to do it for you. I'm not going to shine you on. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, yeah. God says, even if you're not faithful to me, I'm still there. I'm still going to be faithful to my promises for you. You see, God's faithfulness is the single most important fact 
for you and I this morning. That's what Christianity is based on. That's what our salvation is based on. Because if God is not faithful, then we have nothing to place our hope in or build our lives upon. If God is not faithful, then we can't trust what the Bible says about any subject, any promise. If God is not faithful, then we can't trust in His Son, Jesus Christ. And if we can't trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, then there is no hope of salvation and there is no heaven, hell, no lasting peace, no promises to hold on to. But that's not the case because God is always faithful and God's word will always remain and his promise is yes and amen. So we have to express our confidence in the word of God like Abraham expressed his confidence in God's promise and his faithfulness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, the Apostle Paul writes, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. God's character does not change with circumstances. God's character and nature is always faithful. What are you dealing with here this morning? What, what issue are you up against today? What circumstances are you facing uh, next week uh, or next month? What, what letter did you get uh, that wants to strike fear in your life uh, that you're not sure how you're going to deal with it? Let me tell you this morning what you need to do is look that letter in the face, uh, look those circumstances in the face, look those issues in the face and say, devil, whatever it says, I don't care. I know what God says. I'm standing on the promises and faithfulness of God to see me through. Abraham also learned to wait on God. Because when Abraham was confronted with negative circumstances in his life surrounding him, he simply waited on God's direction for his life. He was confident and he understood that God would make his way clear, his direction clear, where he wanted him to be clear. Because we know that God called Abraham to a place where he knew not. He knew not where he was going to go, where he was going to end up. But he learned to wait on God, to be obedient to God on the promise of God's word, and uh, he made his decisions in life based on waiting upon the Lord. He didn't want to step out of God's will. In Psalm chapter number 37, and in verse number 7, I like the way the psalmist puts it. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. And here we read, it could be speaking about Abraham. Because as Lot chose the well-watered plains of Jordan, 
The devil could have been lying to Abraham and saying, see, look how he's going to prosper. Look how good things are going to be for him. Look, look how much of a head start he's going to get. But look what you got. Nothing. Emptiness. Barrenness. And the psalmist says, don't fret because of him who prospers in his way. Stop looking at other people's lives. Write that down. Stop looking at other people's lives and envying them. Don't fret about them. Don't fret about what they say, what they do, how they scheme, how they prosper. Who cares? It's between you and God and your relationship with him, your destiny with him, not theirs. And if we, got, if we get that point clear, because too many times we jump out of the will of God, make decisions out of God's will. We don't wait on God because we want to catch up to somebody else. We want to keep up with the Joneses. We want to keep up with the Sanchezes. We, got, we want to you know, keep up with, with the, the, the Rileys and, and, and the O'Shanahans and whoever, whatever. <laughs> we, we want to do that. That's, that's our human nature. And, and the scripture says, rest. Take a deep breath. You know, your, your, your smart watches are smart. Isn't it a shame that we live in a world where watches are smarter than we are? I mean, think about it. And, and the watches even know when to tell you to take a deep breath. Right? Ding, ding, ding. Okay. And, and we pay attention to the watch, don't we? Ooh, it must be right. I better do it. How crazy are the times we're living in? Why don't we listen to God? Why don't we start listening to God's word when he says, hey, like, is it take a chill pill? Is that, that's outdated already. What, what, well, I don't know what they say now. You know, chill out, whatever. Calmate. Relax. Slow down. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. We know how to be patient, don't we? We all do. We all know how to be patient, especially with ourselves. When it comes to other people, nah, but we know how to be patient with ourselves. This morning I was coming uh, in in, like 7.30 here to church, and I saw the gas line at Costco all the way on Imperial Highway, right over here. Those people are being patient. I mean, you know, I don't know what's going on inside the car, or what, what's taking place, but it looks like they're being patient, waiting for that gas station to open, because they want to save a nickel. <laughs> Why don't you just stop drinking, smoking, and getting loaded? You'll have all kinds of money left over. You won't have to worry about saving a nickel. <laughs> I, I don't know. I got off track here. Sorry, 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 sorry. I mean, but it's true, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, where was I here? We, we're, we're talking about resting in the Lord and being patient with God because the devil loves to pressure us into making spur-of-the-moment decisions that we're going to regret later on in life because we stepped out of the will of God because of somebody else or what this person is saying or doing. 
strife, conflict, etc., and so on. And then quickly moving on, not only did uh, Abraham learn to, we should learn like Abraham to wait on the Lord, is he chose eternity over to the temporary. Bible says that Lot looked at the well-watered plains of Jordan. It was Lot's eyes that became the windows of his soul and of, of what he was really all about. He was greedy, he was selfish, and only cared about himself. Because I guarantee you, Lot knew what Sodom and Gomorrah was all about. He knew about it. He understood. The whole world at that time understood what Sodom and Gomorrah was all about. But yet God still, or Lot still looked that way. He chose the path of, of instant gratification, least resistance, when faced with a hard decision to choose his destiny. He chose selfishly. We understand, we read the story. His wife turned into a pillar of salt. She looked back after being told not to. He would commit incest with his daughters. That's what happens when you make decisions based on the temporary, on self-gratification, instead of the eternal, like Abraham did. In Hebrews 11, verse 17, I want our music ministry to make their way this morning. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and who had received uh, the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. It's a story of God's speaking to Abraham and Abraham understanding that God would be faithful even though God said, take your son, build an altar, and sacrifice your son who represents your destiny, your seed, your family, your future generations. Bring him and sacrifice him at the altar. And Abraham, we know the story, followed the instructions of God because he knew that God would provide, even if he had to bring him back to life, that God would provide for his son that he would be alive to be the fruit of Abraham's destiny. Didn't have to do it because God provided a ram a sacrifice in the bush because God is always faithful. Abraham did not look at the temporary when he chose, he let Lot choose first and he saw the barren land around him. But he looked with eternity. Why? Because he trusted God. This morning, do you trust God? He is a faithful God. Do you base your life upon the promises of God, upon the faithfulness of God? This is what Abraham did.
And because he did, he spent a lot of time at the altar. He visited the altar frequently. Time and again, we read in the Word of God in the Old Testament how he would come back again to the altar that he built before to acknowledge God's faithfulness. That tells you and I that we should never stop coming to the altar. We should never stop being grateful, never stop being submissive to God, never stop finding places in our life where we could say, God, forgive me. I need to repent. Or just plain, God, I want to come and I want to worship you. I want to connect with you. Because the Bible says that we have a better priest and we have a better altar. Not like the Old Testament priests who are imperfect. Not an altar built of animals or rocks or stone, wood. But yet, an eternal altar in the heart of God's grace and mercy through His Son, Jesus Christ. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this